Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, December 2nd, 2019. I am Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, uh, happy Thanksgiving. We talked before the holiday, but not after. So uh, I hope you and yours had a wonderful time at your, was it your wife's family's house? Wife's cousin's? Something like that? Yeah, my wife's family's house. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it was uh, good turkey and good times were had by all. That's really all you can ask for when it comes to Thanksgiving. Good turkey, good times, great oldies, B97.1. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I, I do want to mention, in addition to that, we had a couple of episodes come out over the long holiday weekend. You had a special interview with Michael Longoria, whose new album, Like They Do in the Movies, has been released by Broadway Records. How was that conversation? Michael's always a, a wonderful guest and a really, really – his albums are fantastic. Yeah, we had a we had a fun conversation. We dropped in a lot of uh, clips of his album that you can take a listen to. I think it's uh, it's really wonderful to uh, to hear other things that Michael is doing and, and his take on it. Uh, we recorded that interview back in October, so we had a few out of date references to his performances. But uh, other than that, it was really a lot a lot of fun, and everybody should take a listen to it. Awesome. And then on Sunday, of course, we had the new episode of This Week on Broadway with you, Peter, and Michael. You guys talked about a bunch of different things, including The Inheritance, The Young Man from Atlanta, Seared, um, and, and a bunch of other things. What stood out to you from that conversation, James? Um, how much Michael didn't like the second part of Seared, which is something a, a different. How dare you? How dare you, Michael? <laughs> a different point of view that I've not heard anybody else say before. So. There were there were some some of the reviews did not think that the set that the conclusion was satisfying, um, which I actually kind of liked. Um, but that's you know everyone's entitled to their wrong opinion. <laughs> Especially uh, the AP and college poll. Oh, we don't care about that. The only thing that matters is the uh, college football playoff rankings, and they're right, so it's fine. Oh, I, I, okay, I see. <laughs> the, the, the AP poll and the college or, and the uh, the coaches poll they don't actually matter. They don't play into anything. The only thing that really matters is the committee's rankings, which Ohio State is number one. So. That's fine. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Back to this week on Broadway. Uh, We also talked about World AIDS Day and uh, a little bit about Michael Bennett and his uh, uh, and the the loss that Broadway has felt uh, through uh, the AIDS epidemic and crisis. Um, And uh, so uh, this week on Broadway was it was uh, a lot of fun again. This week I'm I'm very uh, very happy with uh, with it. And uh, Michael got a chance to see Seared and. has has agreed with everybody else how wonderful that is. But the interesting thing is, is that Michael thinks it's going to transfer to Broadway. I would love that. I mean, I, I, I've said this before after I saw it. I don't remember if it was on the Patreon episode or when mm-hmm. Ashley and I were talking about it. The only thing that would worry me is the fact that both um, Krista Rodriguez and Raul Esparza have so many TV uh, gigs that they yeah. have been doing throughout the years that I, I wonder if they're schedules will be able to line up um with it with the transfer but there aren't the problem is is that it won't happen this spring there's no houses really available uh this spring and i can pull up my spreadsheet here real quick uh, i think that would be a really tough thing to get it in but getting it in in the fall maybe give them some time to coordinate their schedules that could happen uh and one last thing to mention about this week on broadway is that peter reviewed um 
an equity showcase, which is really unusual for us to cover something like that. Sure. But he, we covered it on This Week on Broadway because uh, he didn't particularly love this show, but the writer of the show who did the book, music, and lyrics uh, is a woman named Kit Goldstein Grant, and he really thinks she has uh, potential, and he wants to see her next show. And so let's uh, put her on the radar st- screen, Kit Goldstein Grant. Okay, awesome. I look forward to uh, hearing more from her. All right. Uh, and uh, we are trucking along uh, with our Patreon stuff and very excited and happy about uh, how uh, Patreon folks are really supporting Broadway Radio and have to thank you again uh, for making it all possible. And... Um, and we just can't say enough. If you want to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash broadwayradio or broadwayradio.com slash patreon and support Broadway <laughs> Radio there. <laughs> so let's get into the first story of the day, Frozen 2, which we mentioned briefly on This Week on Broadway. Frozen 2 breaks Thanksgiving holiday weekend record. Yeah, James, it was a happy Thanksgiving for all of the bean counters and shareholders over at the House of Mouse as the new Disney animated sequel did an unofficial $123.7 million domestically, although estimates believe that it could top $126 million when the official numbers are released later on Monday. That bests the previous Wednesday to Sunday Thanksgiving weekend record held by 2013's Hunger Games colon Catching Fire, which brought in $109.9 million. Now, the original Frozen, which was released over that same weekend in 2013, did $93.7 million during the initial holiday weekend six years ago. But James, what makes this week's, this Frozen 2 record even more impressive is that Frozen 2 did not open this past holiday weekend, but rather the weekend before. So the $124 million is combined with the 130 plus million from the last weekend and all of the international receipts for the film to bring it in at 738 million, 900 or 738 million, 573,344 million dollars worldwide. Um, I just butchered that number, but whatever, you get it. Um, and that's only since November 22nd. That's nine days of its release. It's done nearly three quarters of a billion dollars. I have a feeling it will get there. Um, but, James, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if the film's success buoys the Broadway version's box office at all. Um, but it also puts into perspective just the sheer financial difference that there is between films and Broadway shows. Well, you know, uh, Phantom of the Opera still outgrosses the top film in the world. You know, Phantom of the Opera, opera uh, live. Um, you mean on Broadway? Well, um, all the productions worldwide of, of Phantom sure. of the Opera, you know, be- well, but beats, not in a ti- given be- beats Titanic, but not in a given week. But not week, in a given you know. weekend. Yeah, like over the 30 plus years that it's been going, um, but not on a given weekend. So it's... Uh, uh, it's just it's monumental the amount of money that these films make. And now that Disney has basically monopolized all of entertainment, um, it's just it's going to keep getting bigger and bigger because as we talk about with the um, Broadway box office, the ticket prices are going to go up. The difference, though, with movie theaters is, is that there is a, you know, effectively, not literally, but effectively an infinite amount of seats that you can have in a movie theater. Sure. Where on Broadway, you can't. So as Disney can, you know, 
continues to be the only ones putting out movies now that they've purchased Fox and all of these subsidiaries. They're just going to keep turning out movies. A lot of people don't like that. They think that that's a problem. I, I think Disney does pretty decent stuff, so I don't I mean whatever. Uh, I'm I'm for more artistic stuff, but I mean my brother and his daughter went and saw Frozen two over the weekend, and my brother cried. So you know it, it it's probably not terrible. So I'm fine with it. Uh, so seven hundred thirty eight million for Frozen two in the last couple of weeks. Uh, that uh, they they don't even charge eight hundred dollars a seat like Hamilton does, do they? No. They do not. They do not. They charge probably uh, anywhere from uh, 10 to 20 bucks. Yeah, exactly. And and very, very comfy things, and you can have big gulp sodas and popcorn. Yes, and we'll we'll get back to the uh, food that you eat while watching things here in a little bit. All right. Tell me about this week's theatrical schedule. All right. A fairly thin week, obviously, if you think about when the schedule is, everything that most everything that people want to have open for the holidays is already playing. So uh, not a ton of stuff. But let's start down in Cambridge or up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, over at the American Repertory Theater, where Dave Malloy's new musical Moby Dick will have its world premiere. It begins performances on Tuesday, December 3rd and is scheduled to run through January 12th. This, of course, is a book, music and lyrics and orchestrations by Malloy based on the classic Herman Melville uh, novel of the same name. It is directed by Rachel Chavkin, who is also attributed with developing the work. I Dave Malloy is such a unique um, individual that I can't wait to hear what this one is like. He originally had been a part of the cast as Melville, but he has written himself out. Um, <laughs> so I, I I just think he's so interesting and what he does is so unique. Um, I'm very interested in the early reports from ART. Then on Wednesday, December 4th, we have the opening night for Harry Townsend's Last Stand Off-Broadway. It is playing at New York City Center. It stars the legendary Lynn Cario along with Craig Bierko. Um, it is a uh, it is a play running through February 9th, so a good long off-Broadway run. The show is described thusly, sometimes it's harder to like someone than it is to love them. Meet Harry Townsend, an incurable romantic and irascible charmer whose sharp mind and dry wit is at the center of this new comedy. As his prodigal son, Alan, returns home, the visit raises the complexities of their relationship placing father and son at odds. We don't get to see Lynn Carew on stage very much anymore. He does concerts and stuff, but he is a, a regular on a television show. So it's nice to have that theatrical legend back on a New York stage. Then moving to Thursday night, James, uh, over at the Broadhurst Theater, we will have, I believe, yeah, the last Broadway opening of a play or musical during the 2019 calendar year, and that is Jagged Little Pill, inspired by the groundbreaking album by Alanis Morissette, directed by Diane Paulus, uh, and featuring a book by Diablo Cody. Um, as I said, I, in our Patreon episode, I saw the show. I gave my thoughts. I, I think it's an entertaining evening that has t- – too much uh, in packed in. So we'll see what the reviews say later this week, James. But the cast is undeniably uh, fantastic, almost completely across the board. Watch out for great notices, not only for uh, Catherine Gallagher, but Celia Rose Gooding, who is Lashanza's daughter. Um, she is fantastic, as is Lauren Patton. Those three are the three, Gallagher, Gooding, and Patton, are the three that really, really stole the show for me. So I'm really looking forward to see what all of the reviews say about them later this week. 
Then on Saturday, James, we have the first performances for Harry Connick Jr., a celebration of Cole Porter on Broadway over at the Nederlander Theater. It is just running for a little bit here before the holidays. Then he is going on tour with it, so check that out. Then on Sunday, December 8th, we have a handful of closings on Broadway. We have The Rose Tattoo closing from Roundabout, Betrayal closing on Broadway. Off-Broadway for Roundabout, we have Scotland PA closing. And then from Theater for a New Audience, Fifu and her friends will be closing as well. We will have links to all of those shows in the show notes if you want to check them out for more information. All right. What do we have in our recommendation section? Okay, depending on what you were doing on Thanksgiving morning, if you were going over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house, we have a roundup of all of the theater-related videos from the parade broadcasts. Not only do we have the performances from Ain't Too Proud, Beetlejuice, Hades Town, Tina Turner, or Tina the Tina Turner musical, and Mean Girls, we also have the Rockettes and quote, performances by Leah Michelle and Adina Menzel. Of course, no one actually sings at these things because that would be a logistical nightmare, uh, but they're lip syncing. So uh, check those out in the show notes. And then also, James, you sent over a link from last week to NPR's podcast Bullseye, hosted by Jesse Thorne, in which Lin-Manuel Miranda appears talking about his HBO show, uh, His Dark Materials, as well as In the Heights and all of Hamilton and Freestyle Love Supreme and all of that stuff. Uh, I have not given this a listen. This is not on my regular podcast listening rotation. Uh, I assume you listen to it, though? Yeah. Uh, I 45 minutes of Lin. Uh, I'm not sure I've ever heard a better, deeper, uh, different interview with Lynn. Uh, I mean, get over and listen to this bullseye with Jesse Thorne, the Lynn Manuel uh, thing. We'll throw the link in the uh, show notes to it to to so that you can get to it quickly and and find the thing. What a great interview! Yeah, Jesse does great stuff, um, and uh, always good to have some Broadway folks getting on the the bigger podcasts. So, very very cool. Did you see the uh, picture of Amber Gray and Bright Monster at the parade? Uh, um, backstage I, at the parade? I don't know if I saw that picture, but I saw uh, Amber Gray and some other Hadestown folks appeared in a uh, Leslie Kritzer Broadway.com <laughs> video, um, which maybe we can get to here in a second. But uh, I did not see the picture. I don't think that you're referencing. It was an Instagram uh, picture, I think think that it was Anais Mitchell that posted it but uh but it was it, it was like the the the, the underworld meets <laughs> yeah 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 that's funny. good let's talk about the Kritzer video here real quick James sure. I assume did you see it no I didn't oh okay so real quick Leslie Kritzer one of the stars of Beetlejuice she does the broadway.com vlog for the show and her and oh, what's the guy's name who took over for Rob McClure? I can't remember. Anyway, the guy who took over for Rob McClure, they were just on the street getting ready to perform at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And they started doing some freestyle beatboxing rapping. And essentially, Leslie Kritzer ended the segment with a smackdown of Scott Rudin in which oh. in which she said, effectively, we're not leaving our theater and then I believe threw in an expletive or two. So um, I don't have it because we I wasn't planning on talking about it, but I, I don't have the exact quote off the top of my head. But that references the, the rumors that we've talked about before that Scott Rudin was going to try to push um, Beetlejuice out of the Broadway theater so that uh, the Music Man could go in there. The Music Man has been selling tickets for months now, but has not yet announced a theater, which 
still just boggles my mind. Uh, but apparently the Beetlejuice folks are still very much aware of it and have no plans of vacating uh, the uh, uh, the theater. It's not the Broadway theater. It's the, the Winter Garden Theater. I apologize. Okay. So, oh, so we're tangentially, we're going to go deeper into something else. So KCRW's okay. uh, podcast, The Business, uh, Kim Masters, uh, generally looks more at Hollywood than it does on Broadway. Uh, and this week's uh, the business episode was about uh, the pushback from um, assistants in Hollywood, and there's a hashtag on totally. on yeah. on, uh, on Twitter about called "Time to Pay Up," uh, and they like out and out went after Scott Rudin. It was uh, oh really very very interesting, and then. I saw some other people on social media was like, let's talk about New York and the and the assistants uh, that work in the New York industries, not only Broadway, but, you know, in fashion and in television and sure, sure, sure. all the other uh, industries in New York that use assistants and don't really pay them a living wage. So um, the uh, KCRW, the business uh episode is very interesting if you're in the industry or just interested in the uh the plight of the assistants and things like that i th will throw that in the show notes as well cool all right our recommendation section got four times as large it was like, <laughs> it was like the grinch's heart yeah oh there you go <laughs> what do we have in other news Okay, James, let's start with the Broadway-bound production of the new musical Six. It was announced last week that Abby Mueller, who has been playing Queen Jane Seymour, not Wedding Crashers Cougar Jane Seymour, would be departing the St. Paul run of the show at the Ordway Center due to an injury. There was a situation apparently a week or so ago when she had to perform part of the show sitting in a chair due to a knee injury she sustained, but she will be replaced by Mallory Medecki in Minnesota. And the show's official statement seems to indicate that they believe that Mueller will be back in time for the Broadway run next spring. Next, this is a little longer one, James, so stick with me here. On Saturday, Mark Hirschberg reported in Forbes that the Ambassador Theater Group had successfully defended itself against a lawsuit brought by a defendant and her high-volume lawyer. To quote Mark last year, uh, Evelyn Castillo sued the Broadway landlord in federal court over its policy blocking guests from bringing outside food into its theaters. She complained that the practice discriminates against individuals with diabetes and violates the Americans with Disability Act. James, the complaint alleged that because diabetes is considered an official uh, disability, that preventing her from bringing in her own pre-measured and approved foods could lead to health issues if her blood sugar got too low. Now, to me, James, that sounds like a legitimate concern and one that I would support getting some sort of uh, solution to. But here's where it gets interesting. Castillo never actually purchased a ticket to see a show at an ATG theater. She only wanted to go see Head Over Heels, but chose not to because, quote, she understood defendant's discriminatory policy and knew that such an attempt would be futile. Now, apparently this language, this futile language revolves around a law that Hirschberg notes is taken from racial discrimination law that says that if, for example, an employer posts a sign that says hiring whites only, it is not only the people of color that actually apply that have been discriminated against because but all people of color, whether they apply or not, because they know that applying would be, quote, futile. 
Castillo's lawyer, C.K. Lee, filed nearly identical lawsuits against 43 New York businesses, with almost half of them being filed over a two-day period, including Radio City Music Hall, Carnegie Hall, the Apollo Theater, and the Schubert Organization. But unlike the Schuberts, who avoided litigation and just settled this thing, ATG fought it and cited the numerous ways on their website that indicate that they could be contacted with concerns from not only ticket buyers, from but potential ticket buyers as well, including on their accessibility statement. So because there was no legitimate reason for Castillo to assume that ATG would deny a request to bring in her own prepackaged food, she had no standing and the judge dismissed the case earlier this fall. Now, James, we've talked about these kind of suits over the years, um, a lot of the Americans with Disability uh, lawsuits, and I think we are both in generally in complete support of them on their merits of providing access to the theater for all people. But when they are such a bald-faced money grab, as they all seem to be, they all come from these same lawyers who just do this kind of stuff en masse, even the cynical old me gets annoyed by them. Yeah, I... <sighs> Uh, it makes me, you know, <laughs> what does Shakespeare say about the lawyers? <laughs> uh, it's something that's probably also fairly uh, anti-Semitic, but we'll, we'll we'll avoid that for now. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't know what to say about this, but I'm I'm glad that people are uh, are addressing the issues here uh, uh, that the um, that people have to stay in compliance with ADA. Absolutely. And uh, I think yeah, that, that's good. I, I think that's the good part of this, and the bad part of this is that uh, if you're not really, it, it doesn't seem to me from uh, from these articles that these people are really concerned with the ADA as much as they're concerned with the outcome of making their bank accounts bigger. Which is that's all. It is. Yes, that that's uh, not that's not good for anybody. That's it, no. it's just damaging to everybody. All right. All right. I've got one more story for you, James. And if you thought that last one had a bunch of twists and turns, buckle your seatbelt. Because last week it was reported that Johnny Depp is producing a musical about Michael Jackson told from the point of view of his famous sparkly glove. Yes, that's right. It's told from the point of view of his glove. This, of course, is not the Broadway-bound musical MJ, which Len Nottage is writing. Um, But instead, it is a musical that is based on Julian Nitzberg's play for the love of glove, an unauthorized musical fable about the life of Michael Jackson, which uses, quote, specially designed, meticulously built Japanese bunraku style puppets, realistic and close to life size. These 20 all original works of art portray all members of the Jackson five, Donny Osmond, Emmanuel Lewis, Corey Feldman, Corey and Bubbles, the chimp. This play has uh, two people in it performing all of the roles, but it hasn't even had its uh, a world premiere yet. It will premiere in January out in Los Angeles. No word on when the musical version of this will make its debut, James. I tell you, you know, uh, the, the makers of War Horse and uh, King Kong should uh, have gotten together with well, these people, you know? They actually, in the press release for the play version, they actually drew comparisons to... Um, uh, Avenue Q, not that they, they differentiated in the style of puppets, but rather that the fact that the people who are performing the puppets and, and maneuvering the puppets um, are visible to the audience. So it's a, it's even a little different than that. It's just, I mean, one is more than enough. I don't know that we need two, even as weird as this one sounds. <laughs> well, you know, 
it's because we cracked the 20 minute mark that's why it went off the rails <laughs> things get weird when we get past 20 normally it's not the stories it's us but uh, very true here all right before we get out of here you know what this week is um other than the first week of december i do not uh if my calculations are correct and they are fuzzy at best I'm thinking that sometime this week, possibly Thursday or Friday. Uh, I think I know where you're going. You break 1,000 episodes of Broadway Radio. I believe that is correct. I believe this will be 996. Um, I'm not going to be on Wednesday's show, uh, FYI, because I'm going to see the national tour of the play that goes wrong. Uh Um, But it will be very soon. Yes, 1,000. What a stupid number that is. (laughs) Uh, Some of those were as guests pre Broad, mm-hmm. uh, today on Broadway when I would uh, this week come on, on this week on Broadway. So, mm-hmm. um, but yes, 1,000 episodes coming up here either this week or early next week. All right, Matt, why don't Shout you get us out of here? So <laughs> stupid. Um, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Monday with us. Welcome back to uh, Cyber Monday, Black Monday, something like that. Uh, what was that? Something. I don't know what it is, but yeah. Something like that. And uh, Ashley uh, should be back in the saddle tomorrow, I think. She (laughs) had some Sunday evening uh, duties to perform. And, uh, you know, we will talk to you then. Yeah, just just so you know, I I just went back in my notes real quick because I don't Mm -hmm. throw anything away. I have my notes from the first appearance that I ever had on Broadway Radio. It is dated... January 9th, 2015. Maybe if there's a patron who wants to jump on, I can send them over these notes. Uh, oh. Uh, not not very interesting. But we ta- I talked about Gallivant, Glee, and Nashville. And uh, Ooh, had, some, uh, yeah, had some other stuff in there uh, uh, as well. So there you go. Extra content for our patrons. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you later. <laughs>